Hey guys, thanks for swinging by our podcast today. We hope this message leaves you encouraged and filled with hope and that Christ and His goodness is meeting your every need. God, He's holy, He's other. He's terrifying in the sense that He's Lord. We need a revelation of His love for us. More than just singing about His love from here or how He loved us. I'm going to scream to the words that He actually writes on my heart. And so then, no matter what anyone says to me, it, it doesn't really matter what, because it doesn't matter if they insult what he has said. Bless me, it doesn't matter if they curse me. It doesn't So like, I, I, because what really matters, yeah, I don't, I mean, if people say, but mean stuff, that's okay. If people that say nice stuff, that's nice. This compliment was for you because we just need a revelation of that. And, and I'm fully convinced that if we could get the phrase we've been using here is if we could get rooted in beloved identity, if, if we could be so convinced that the, my identity is just beloved and that's the only thing that really matters. Like, like it's, I mean, what would it look like? I was thinking about this the other day. I, I, I went, ran into someone at the grocery store and we struck up this conversation and they said, what do you do for, what do you do? And, and what the, really what they mean is what do you do for a living or, or tell me about yourself. And the first words out of my mouth were, I'm a pastor and, 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 and which is correct. I am a pastor. But when I got out to the car, the Lord slowly began to correct me so, so kindly and gently. He said this, and, and EJ, do you mind going helping back there with Brett in case there's any boys that need to go to, to the restroom? So sorry. We got a growing kids department, <laughs> and, uh, and we're thankful for that. And, and we are needing more and more volunteers to help keep because we used to be able to get by with one. But how many understand kids got a potty sometimes? And we don't want a boy taking the girls to the potty, and we don't want a girl taking the boys to the potty for obvious reasons. So anyway, I have no idea where I was, so we'll find our way back to it. But we will, oh, I, I remember now. So I was at the grocery store, and, and I got in the car, and the Lord started to correct me. He goes, why didn't you say you were beloved? <laughs> He's like, you're teaching on that? <laughs> and I was like, I am. And he goes, well, do you really believe it? And, and I want to get to the point where it doesn't matter that I'm a pastor. It doesn't matter that I'm a husband or I'm a dad. I mean, those things matter. Don't, don't hear me incorrectly. But I want to get to the point where it's almost like without even thinking. When someone asks me who I am, I say I'm beloved. Like, what, what do you mean beloved? I, I mean, I mean, like he's wildly in love with me and he loves me like crazy. And that's what he has identified me as. And I want to get to that point, and, and the Lord's helping. And so that's why we're going through this, because I, I think that if we could get a revelation of that, it would change absolutely everything that you do. See, when you get a revelation that you're beloved, it, it really does change everything. And while I'm in this process, it changes the way I read my Bible. It changes the way that I pray. It changes the way that I talk to people. It, change, it changes absolutely everything. So, so... Let's just give you some grace. I said, how many of you have been reading? Just a few of you raised your hand. That's okay. Now, now, how many of you, and, and you can raise your hand if you want. How many of you, the moment I asked that, and if you haven't been doing it, how many of you immediately felt guilt? Few of you. Okay, don't. Don't receive it. <laughs> I'm saying, let's try to do better. But also, that guilt and that shame is not who you are. It's beloved. 
You see, sometimes we'll do stuff like this. Like if I were to say, who, how many of you didn't read the word this week? And I think reading the word is of the utmost importance. But if some of you would have raised your hand, you'd be like, well, I missed one day because I woke up later. I did this. And then day two, I got busy and I just forgot. And by day three, I thought, well, it's already been two days. I'm not sure. I think God's angry with me. And so I'm just going to kind of avoid it because some of us like to avoid people when they're angry rather than dealing with conflict. And we think the Lord's the exact same way, but he's a good father that invites us right back in. And that's not cheap grace. I actually think that gives us permission to go deeper than ever before because I'm not frightened to be punished. I'm actually wanting not to miss out on his goodness and his kindness towards me. Now he is God and he does judge and there is a heaven and a hell. So don't hear all that stuff wrong. I'm just saying, I think there's a lot more grace than we give him credit for. Amen. All right. So, so this morning I thought I've been thinking a lot about where we are as a church. I've thought about a lot, the sacrifice a lot, moved a lot. I've thought about my own personal life and, and, uh, and, and just really thought a lot just, let me just, I'll just be out with it. Like, when you really start to go after the Lord, you, you get labeled things sometimes. And you'll be called an eccentric. <laughs> you'll be called nuts. You're called crazy. You're, you're, un, you're imbalanced, which you've, some of you have heard me teach that before. I think there is no such thing as living in a balanced life. Because by definition, balance is a scale and to have balance when it comes to Jesus would mean that I would have Jesus on one side and, and by definition, balance would mean I would have something of equal value on the other side balancing it out. So I just think it's all him, all right, when it comes to my life in Christ. But we worry about being balanced. We worry about being peculiar. And, and, and I'm just going to give grace and say it's okay. But really what I feel like speaking to, where I feel like the Lord wants me to speak to this morning, is how do we deal with that? Let's be honest. And, and, and some, of the, some of our friends, some of our, our family, and even some of us, some people said some mean things uh, about people we know. People that we love about, people that we care about, some people who've never even been here have written kind of mean things on the internet about this place. And I'm like, if you just come, you'd fall in love with it. But, but, but anyway, how do we deal with those things? That's what I feel like the Lord wants me to talk about this morning, okay? Because the, the propensity is, is that when we are confronted with our love of Christ, and either by friends, family, whatever, you really have two options. You can get your feelings hurt and shrink back and stop doing what you're doing, or you can respond in love because it's illegal for a Christian to get offended. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We can respond in love and continue down the same road that we're down. And I want us to keep going down the same road. Okay, amen. All right. Our loud ones are gone today. That's all right. All right, so look at, look at Song of Songs chapter 2. And, uh, and, and I'm actually going to read, I'm going to preach from 2 and chapter 3. And, and now, 
understand this, that in the word, when it was written, it was written as a letter. So there were no, again, some of you guys know this, but there were no divisions and chapters. It was just meant to be read together. I actually think that between chapter two, verse 16 and 17, and when we get into chapter three here in just a moment, actually, I actually believe it's the same train of thought and it was meant to be read like there was no separation. And so that's how we're going to look at it. All right. All right. Song of Songs 2.16. My beloved is mine, and I am his. This is the Shulamite bride speaking. My beloved is mine. I am his. He pastors his... He pastures... Not pastors, but he does pastor. He pastures his flock among the lilies. And in verse 17 says, Until the cool of the day, when the shadows flee away, turn my beloved and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of Bether. And then we get to chapter 3, and it says, On my bed, night after night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. I must arise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I must seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. The watchmen who make the rounds in the city found him. This is chapter 3, verse 3. The watchmen who make the rounds in the city found me. And I said, I have, have you seen the one whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I left them when I found him whom my soul loves. I'm going to stop right there for right now. So there's a whole lot that happens in these just few verses. Verse 216, she says, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. I mean, it's just beautiful picture of what we're trying to become convinced of, right? That, that he is mine and I am his and you can't talk me out of it, right? I remember when I first met April and I called home and, and I told my parents all about her. And this is what my, my mom said, oh, son, you need to slow down. And like, I feel like I, I was like, but mom, I'm in love and I don't care. Who knows? You know, that's what I felt like. <laughs> I actually probably said it just like that. I'm in love and it doesn't matter. I'm just in love. But, but she, she makes a statement where she's in love and then immediately following, she says this. Until the cool of the day, when the shadows flee away, turn my beloved and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of Bether. Now read the Passion Translation of 217 because it gives a little more context. It says this. Now again, she just says, I'm my beloved and my beloved is mine. And she responds, but until the springs, until the day springs to life and the shifting shadows of fear disappear, Turn around, my lover, and ascend to the holy mountain of separation without me. Until the new day fully dawns, run on ahead like a gazelle and skip like a young stag over the mountains of separation. Go on ahead to the mountain. I'll come another time. So how do you go from my beloved is mine and I am my beloved's to... You need to leave in one verse. Just like that. I don't know if you've ever been there. Like you're on fire for the Lord. You're loving the Lord. And then it's like, boom, the bottom gets pulled out from underneath of you. And then you really get tested with what you believe. Now, 
I don't believe I'm reading too much in this with what I'm about to say, but I actually, I, I actually believe I can prove this here in just a second, and I believe it gets context to where we are as a people and where we're headed, but, but the danger is this. When you start to go after the Lord, when we become a church that seeks after his presence, or better yet, when you become an individual that just like we sang that very first song, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. When you decide to pursue the things of God, when you decide to sell everything and give up a pastorate position to move across the country, right? Or you decide to, to leave a place where you've been for a really long time and move to the city. When you decide to do stuff like that, People will begin to question what you're doing. And most of the time, it is the people that are the closest to you that most love you. And, and probably, they're some of the most spiritual people that you know. Now, this is not to be mean to them. This is not, so don't hear me wrong. I'm just saying that the Lord has spoken to you. And you have to believe that he's spoken to you. Because it'll really be easy to get talked out of what you believe. Okay? I just think there's so much truth. This is fascinating. When she says turn away, that, that phrase turn away means change over. It means to sulk and it means to leave an offended mood. So not only did she push him away right after she said, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. She actually pushes him away in a way where she's trying to cause him to get offended. Now, have you ever loved someone? Have you ever loved someone or cared for someone and, and you thought that they were making progress and in the moment that they start making progress, they say something mean and hurtful to try to push you away from them? Do you understand what I'm talking about? I think some of you do. That's what this means that she's saying is that she gets offended and, and she pushes them away. And I don't understand what happens, but, but I think with the next verses, we start to learn what possibly could have happened. And again, for our context, I think this is really good stuff. Get to verse 3, I'll say this. Now, this isn't the case for everyone that speaks to you, but I think there's a lot of truth rooted in this statement. That the religious... Spirit is highly uncomfortable with you being rooted on beloved identity. And the religious spirit doesn't want us rooted in that because it's not willing to pay the price to live in that. All right. <laughs> You're welcome, Internet. Now, I don't say that to be combative, okay? I, I just think it's, it's just the truth. Like, <laughs> the moment, listen, listen, the moment we felt, it was interesting. I, I shared on Facebook this morning, and I just, like, I'm, real, I'm not on hardly at all anymore, but I got on this morning and looked at memories. I don't know why. And I saw three years ago today, we signed the lease. Like, we got the keys to the other side of our space three years ago today, which is mind-boggling. If you want to see how trashy the place looked, you can get on there and look. <laughs> Trashy is me flowering it up a little bit for you, okay? But it's amazing how the Lord takes yucky things and makes them beautiful. And so, so, so the religious spirit is uncomfortable with that. Now, Song of Songs, when we read this, and she says, turn away, and then 
listen what happens. It's like she immediately regrets turning him away. Now, I know we know this because we have been around people, or we may have done it ourselves, that we push people away and inside, on the outside, we're pushing them away, but on the inside, we're really hurting and we don't want to push them away. But, but our actions are different than what's going on in our heart, right? And sometimes the people that are most rebellious are the ones that's actually crying out for the most help. And sometimes, like, it's really hard to love people. And, and it's like, not only do you got to love the hell out of them, but you got to love them through the hell as well. Jesus is really helping me in that in a couple of situations right now. So you get to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. She says this, On my bed, night after night, I sought him whom my soul loves. It means that she was thinking about him over and over and over. How many of y'all struggle sleeping when you go through a stressful situation? And it's like, like, it's like, <laughs> like last night I was just thinking about lots of stuff. I laid down. And I've been sleeping like a baby here recently. And last night I laid down. I was super tired. And I was just like, I am wide awake. It feels like I just drank like a full pot of coffee and I am raring to go. Right? I mean, and then your mind just, next thing you know, it's like three hours later. And it's like, well, I really got to get up and pee now at this point. But I'm afraid that if I get up, I'm going to be more awake than I was. And so you wrestle with that. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. She says, night. <laughs> April's not here to corral me. <laughs> night after night, I sought him who my soul loves. I sought him but did not find him. I must arise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I must seek him whom my soul. She pushed him away and immediately regrets it. And she can't stand life without him. And so she begins to search. Now, now, this is peculiar in the sense that he tells us all throughout his word, those who seek me, find me, right? Those who seek me, find me. So, so if that's true, and I believe it is, why couldn't she find him? Well, I think you have to be looking in the right place. See, he isn't found, he isn't found in her mind in the sense where she's running these things over and over and over. And he isn't found, for our purposes, he isn't found in the system in which, like I say the system, like let's just say this, he isn't found in dead rote religion, okay, empty religious rhetoric and empty dead formalism and rituals, although those things can be beautiful, but he's not found in those things in of himself. He's found in intimacy, and he's always found in intimacy. I'll say it again because that's really good. So I had someone actually, let me, let me backtrack. I had someone text me yesterday, and they're not from our church, but they text me the question, is fasting worship? That's a really good question. Is fasting worship? And I had to respond to them. No, fasting isn't worship. Fasting is something that propels me to worship. 
But if I treat fasting like worship, I concentrate more on the fasting than I do the one who I'm supposed to encounter when I'm fasting. Does that make sense? And so it's, so you could take that with any type of thing. Is, is he found in the word? Well, yes, he's found in the word. But if I'm reading this to gain head knowledge so I sound smart in a conversation or so I can p- type a Bible verse on Facebook and hit publish and sound like I'm spiritual, he's probably not in that. But if I'm reading this to be introduced to a person and get to know a person, I'm going to meet him, right? It's like this. A, a solitude, I've been reading about spiritual discipline. Solitude, uh, uh, solitude isn't being alone. Solitude is, is isolating yourself for a time so that you can be alone with him. So is, if I say, well, I'm just the person that loves solitude, is that worship or is it the person that I encounter when I'm in solitude? See, it, it's, it's always about the person of Jesus. And so, so she says she can't find him. And I think she couldn't find him because she was looking in the wrong places. And I'm about to prove it when I read this verse. You see, see, now let me backtrack just a hair. Now, I'm about to prove it when I read this verse. Now, here's the process that we talked about two weeks ago that I believe that every person who has attended this church has went through. And that's that process of spinning. Now, for those that weren't here, those that need a refresher, that's based off of Jeremiah 18.4, where it says that it's talking about the potter's wheel, where the potter places the clay on the potter's wheel and he spins it. Many of us, when you start to go after the presence of the Lord in your day-to-day lives, your life actually gets more difficult instead of easy. That's why this is hard. And why does it get difficult? Because he spins us on the potter's wheel. And so we feel like our whole life is being disorientated. We feel like everything in the world is going to just crazy. But actually what it is, is it's us that's spinning and everything else is standing still. And it's in that moment that I'm being spun. Now let me say this, that when you're being spun, the good news is you're in the hands of the potter. And it's like, man, I'd rather be no place else than right there. And as I'm being spun, the things that are on my life begin to fly off. Or the things that are on my life that he doesn't want. The things in my life that aren't the way in which he intended me to be made. He, boom, he molds me. He shapes me. Actually, the King James says this, that after he spun them on the potter's wheel, it says he made them yet again another It's like so peculiar. He made him again, yet another. So he made you into a new creation. You were made again, but you were made another. You were were this person before Christ. You're this person after Christ. And then after you give your life to Christ, you still continue to go through that process because it's that growing in grace. It's that internal work. Like the person I am today is not the person that you see on that video I shared three years ago. I'm much different because I'm learning to embrace that process. Now, but when you're on that process, when you're in that process, now I know this is the truth. You're spinning, you're spinning, you're spinning, and then you have those that aren't necessarily in that position of spinning that have your best interest at heart. They love you and they care for you. What are they saying? You need to quit doing what you're doing. 
boy, have you lost your mind, right? They'll say stuff like that. Girl, you are out of your ever-loving mind. You're making things difficult. And you're like, no, you don't understand the one that's holding me in his hands. See, that's what I want to address. Because it's really easy when you're doing this and it feels like everything's falling apart or it feels like you can't find a job or it feels like everything's going wrong. You've got to determine, am I doing this because the Lord told me or am I doing this because I, I must have misheard? Because if the Lord told me to do this, then he must have something good for me on the other side of this, of this spinning and this refinement. But if he didn't tell me, I need to hop off just as soon as I possibly can. But if I have a word from the Lord, he who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it unto completion. And we got to believe that. So you get to 3-1. You get to 3-1. And she says, oh my bad, I sought him. And I must arise now and go about the city and the streets and the squares. I seek him whom my soul loves. And I sought him but did not find them. And you get to verse 3-3. And she runs into the watchman. Now, prophetically, I think the watchmen are the religious, good-hearted people that we know, that we love. But they're also the people that think we're crazy. <laughs> the truth, and I'm not angry. I'm not, and I'm not angry at them. I'm not. I promise you that. I love them. We live in a society of compartmentalization. Meaning, I have my work life, I have my family life, I have my church life, I have my kids' sports life. Like we, we have these, these areas that we live in. And in the kingdom, there is no compartmentalization. It's just all him. And when you make it all about him, it looks weird. And when it looks weird, that's when people begin to question what you're doing. Now, she get, I'm just fired up. 3-3, three, three, the watchmen, I believe, okay, again, I believe the religious who make the rounds in the city found me. And I said, have you seen the one whom my soul loves? The religious spirit does not have a grid for what most are going after in this room. I'm just being honest and I'm not trying to be mean. And this probably get me in trouble. I'll probably get some emails from the internet. And that's okay. But they probably don't have a grid for it. I remember it was 13 years ago, I went to my first damn Bohai service. Scared the tar out of me. I thought, who is this maniac? I'm not even kidding. Who is this maniac? And like, and you know, he's big and sloppy, and and I thought you had to be prim and proper and put together at that time, you know, and have real shiny shit like that. And that's just what I was taught. I'll never forget. He's like, he's preaching a message and he just stops in the middle of the message. And, and those that know him or have heard him here, he goes, I'm sorry. <laughs> and everyone's like, what? You're preaching good. Why you stop? He goes, I think there's seven, and I'll never forget. I think there's seven men here right now that are struggling with pornography addiction and they need to come up front and get set free right now. <sighs> I thought you have got to be kidding me. Next thing I know, one by one. And it got to six. And, and you know how sometimes it gets quiet here and it's like really awkward? Like it got quiet and we sat there for what felt like an eternity. And I'm like, you know, 
keep my eyes closed but squinting, looking around to see what's going on. <laughs> and next thing I know, one of my best friends there, he gets up from the very back and he runs forward. And I'll never forget it. The entire, I'll never forget to the day I die. Dan says, I've been waiting on you. And, he, and like, the, you know, Dan's six five six six, and and my buddy was about five foot Logan. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> foot Logan, and he embraces this man and picks him up and just holds him in his arms. And I'm thinking like, like my heart was like gripped and I'm like, this is amazing. But I was also like, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not sure I want anything to do with this. I'm just being honest. <laughs> and, and like you, you get that choice. You get that choice. Now, we're not doing it to look weird or peculiar. What we're doing is we believe the Lord has called us to something, and we believe the Lord is calling us to something that our kids, and again, I, 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 I'm just so on this. Our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids are going to get to enjoy the fruits of our labor. We are taking an acorn. Like, for so often, especially in revival history, like, like humans can be so narcissistic and selfish sometimes. Like, we want revival. We want revival. We want revival. And if revival is, is really the kingdom in seed form, which I think it is, and if I could use the acorn as an illustration, an acorn's really wonderful thing. But what if I plant that acorn in the ground and it grows up and produces thousands of acorns? What if what we're doing right now is burying ourselves in the ground so that your kids, your kids, so kids, I don't know if I'm being prophetic, Jeremy, or not, but, <laughs> but your kid, my boy, their kids and their grandkids can live on fire for the Lord and never have to fight the same battles we've had to fight. Like, I, I, like I just, that's the stuff that keeps me awake at night beginning to think about that stuff. Like what we're doing is important and, and, and we've got to think long, long, long term. I don't know how I got here. Like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm being honest, like, I don't know how I got to where I'm at, but I'm going to be abrupt and get back on track. <laughs> but she went and searched everywhere. I know why. So when you start to think this way, it's so countercultural that what's going on around us, not just the world, but within the church, that people think you're nuts. But if you think it's worth it, it's worth any price to pay. And so, oh, man. And the moment things get difficult, the religious spirit will do whatever it can to talk you out of what you've previously experienced or what you believe the Lord is asking you to do. And the moment in which, I'm just reading this now, the moment in which you and everything in your life is spinning, someone without a grid for it, for what you've experienced, will try to talk you out of it. Now, I want you to flip forward. I'm going to actually move forward in Song of Songs just for today. Look at chapter 5, verse 7. Because I want to talk about the watchman just for a few more minutes. Chapter 5, verse 7 says this. So, so this is a similar instance in her life. She, she misplaces Jesus, which sounds so silly. <laughs> Lost them. We did that like at, at Christmas. My grandparents, they were notorious for putting a Christmas tree in every room of the house. And every year they had this big nativity set. And I had a cousin that would always steal baby Jesus. 
And I was like, what happened to Jesus? And he's like, I lost him. But anyway, that wasn't funny. But, but chapter 5, verse 7 says this. The watchmen who make the rounds in the city found me. They struck me and wounded me. The guardsmen of the walls took away my shawl from me. So she's out looking for him. And she comes across the watchman. And at this time, they didn't just see her and move on. This time, it actually says that they, when they found her, they struck her and they wounded her. And then they took away the shawl. And see, that's a picture of what can happen if we're not rooted in this beloved identity. That when someone doesn't understand what you're doing, you can get wounded and offended. And I'm just going to be honest. Like, I've been there, and I've been wounded and offended, and it's wrong. The word struck means to strike. It means to kill. It means to afflict. It means to conquer. So they beat the tar out of her. And a wounded means to strike, to injure. It actually, it's the same word that's used for emasculate, which is like, how do you emasculate a woman? Well, what it really means is, is that they injured her to the point to where she could no longer reproduce. Hear this. What God is doing in each and every person in this local family is very important. What he is birthing in you is very important. And, and it, man, it's not just to grow a big church. Like, I, like if this is it, I'm, I'll, I'm thankful to run with you all. But he wants to birth something inside of your heart. He wants to do something where you begin to literally shift the atmospheres of where you're at, whether it's your secular job, it's your homes, it's people who come into your home. He wants to do something in you and through you. And the enemy would like nothing more than to take that out. I'm not talking about making babies right now. I'm talking about growing the kingdom right now, okay? And so, so it's like whatever he starts in you, it's like, boom, discouragement comes, or boom, discouragement comes. When we felt called to plant this church, I had, I, I, I don't know how many phone calls I had, but I had two phone calls from district superintendent friends in the church of Nazarene that said, you're throwing away your career. I'm like, this is not a career. A career would have been me going into public education and teaching school and having the white picket fence and coaching high school baseball and coaching high school football and tutoring kids and helping them do good in history and political science and things that I love. That's a career. This is not a career. I heard the voice of the Lord tell me to pick up everything I had and go to a place where we had no congregation, no friends, no family, and start a church in the middle of that place. It's not a career. I don't care about advancing. I don't care about being anyone. I just care about responding to what he says to me. And so when we get in those situations and it's like, well, I'm called to move across the country. Well, you're crazy. I know I am. I'm crazy about him. (laughs) It's so different than what we're taught. The Christian life is so backwards from what we're taught. We're told, like, like the, 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 the world says to save everything up and do everything with caution, right? And the kingdom, it says, step out on the waters and walk when he says come. Yes. 
In the world, it says, have insurance. And then in the kingdom, it's like, Jesus is my insurance. See, when he calls you to do these things, they don't make sense in the ones around you that love you. Now, those men that called me love me, and they're my friends, and and I honor the position they're in, and I think the world of them, and I would do just about anything that they asked me to do. I would, but they just didn't have a grid. And that's where we got to be so filled with love that we don't get offended when someone doesn't have a grid. Because we're praying that one day they get a grid. We're praying that, praying that through our life, through our testimony, that they get a grid for it. I know it. I look around the room like I know, I know what this has cost some of you in this room. Hmm. Now it gets a little harder. <laughs> so they took away my shawl. I'm good on time. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> huh? They took away my shawl. You know what one of the hardest things is? I'm not angry. I hurt. This literally means they took away their covering from her. That means that they were no longer going to associate with her. I know. I know because I've had conversations. And so I'll ask a rhetorical question. How many of you, when you decide to follow the Lord and really follow him, lost some friends along the way? Lost some relationships? And it happens... Now, unknowingly, this is what it is, is the enemy uses that disassociation to make us question what's happened. And those people aren't doing it to be mean or malicious, okay? Because our war is not against flesh and blood. All right? It's not. People's not our problem. But the enemy uses people sometimes. And so what it does is they're like, well, I'm, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. And we get so lonely and heartbroken for them that sometimes we make those choices to go back knowing what we're giving up. Some of you are crying because you know what I'm talking about. But what happens, we don't need the covering of man. We need the covering of him. And I actually think where we're talking about beloved identity we need to be like John the Beloved, the one that had his head pressed up against Jesus' chest. We need this from Jesus. And sometimes this has been the only thing that's gotten me through what we've been through as a church. Sometimes this has been the only thing that's kept us persevering in the last few years. And now it's like, now we're starting to persevere. And now we're starting to see some of the things that we dreamed about. And I'm so thankful. This isn't a real seeker-friendly message. It's like, yeah, come to our church. Your life's going to get much more difficult. You're probably going to lose friends. You're going to lose all this stuff, <laughs> right? But he's worth it. Like, I would, I, would not, I, would not tr- I would not trade what I have inherited for the world. I've inherited a family. I have family. But I have inherited a family. I've inherited a company of people that I'm beginning to live life with 
that I wake up in the middle of the night and I think about you. <laughs> Never used to do that. I had my prayer list, and I love my old churches. I really did, but I had my prayer list where I'd pray through the people, and now it's like the Lord just wakes me up, and I start thinking about the Coxes Friday night, and I'm like, God, give them strength as they're packing stuff up. Like I start thinking about that. or, or I, I, I heard that Katie was sick, and it was crazy. I start thinking about Katie Wednesday morning, and I start thinking about Katie Wednesday morning, and I'm like, God, help Katie to... F- Help Katie. I bless this young girl. I pray, God, that she's a great worship leader when she gets to be older. I pray, God, you use her mightily. And I pray, Lord, you're already, I, I pray, Lord, you're already speaking to the young boy that's going to be her husband one day. And then I saw that she wasn't feeling good this week or heard that from one of the kids. And I thought, my goodness, like the Lord just brings people to heart and to mind all the time. And like, I, the Lord has given me that gift of you. And so it's like, I don't need that covering. What I need is his covering and this. (laughs) I'm so far off track today. (laughs) I believe it's the Lord. The only way... (laughs) Okay, let me give you the solution. (laughs) How do you get through the process or how do you get through when it's hard? This sounds, this like sounds preacherly simplistic because I think sometimes I've been guilty of trying to simplify things so much, but it's, it's just the truth. You hold on to them and you don't let go. <laughs> look at, look at the, I'm going to look back at Song of Songs, chapter three, back to where we picked off or picked off, left off. I'm, I don't know. Three, four says this. This is right after she ran into the watchman. Verse 4 says, Scarcely had I left them, the watchman, when I found him whom my soul loves. I held on to him, and I would not let go. Until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the room of her who conceived me. I'm going to read this in the Passion here in just a second, but I want to give you two definitions. It says that she, as soon as she left this, she experienced him again. She said, I held, I seized, I grasped, I fastened myself to him. It actually means to bolt a door shut. It was like she took the big bolt she wasn't letting go. Let go means to relent, to slack, or to release. And that's the invitation. Jesus is inviting us to be so convinced of his goodness. We don't let go no matter what. Now, here's what's fascinating. Let me read the Passion, and then we'll, we'll close on that. Or I'll talk probably just a few minutes longer, but I want to read that other translation. Just as I moved past them, I encountered him and found the one I adore. I caught him and fastened myself to him, refusing to be feeble in my heart again. Now right here. Thanks for listening to this week's message. The goal of River City Hope Church is to provide as many resources as we can for free. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to HopeForRiverCity.com. Again, that's Hope, the number four, RiverCity.com.